0: We are looking at some really interesting stuff. There's going to be a lot of Scripture today. If you notice up here on the board, real quick, doesn't Mitch do a good job with what he puts together? Yeah, it's a real good job, yeah. If you notice, our Scripture text today is Judges. That's the entire book. Now, we're not going to read it, okay? So everybody just, you know, I saw some of you grabbing your stuff getting ready to leave. No, we're, we're, we're good. We're not going to cover the whole thing, but there are some highlights we need to go over. But of course, the first thing we need to do, everybody get a handout? Everybody get a handout. You've got notes. I'm easing up on my notes for everybody lately, just to let you know. I'm trying to take it easy on you. But I do want to go over the foundational things that we've seen so far up until this point. This may be your first Sunday with us, so let me just give you a, a really brief what we're doing. Uh, Since I got here the first Sunday in June, we have started at the very beginning of the Bible, and we are asking the question, what are the foundational, pivotal moments in history that God has worked in such a way as to where he is revealing incredible truths about himself to human civilization, okay? And so the idea is, is any time that we hit a specific, important point, We're we're notching it down to see what the truth has to tell us about it. So like, for instance, number one, the very first thing we started in is the fact that the Bible is God's self-revelation. God wants people to know Him. God wants everyone to know Him fully. One guy that I'm reading right now, he, he said it this way. He said, if they're not saved, they need to become a disciple. And if they are saved, they need to be more of a disciple. You can never walk too closely with God. His Word is His will. And by His Word, we know exactly what He expects, how He operates, how He moves. A lot of wrong thinking about God could simply be corrected if we just spent time reading the Bible. It's amazing. It's amazing what's out there that could be easily fixed. Let me give you an example real quick. And I have to tell you this because, man, it's been burning in my bones all week. I couldn't stand it. So I don't have social media. Except I have a Twitter account. And the reason why I like, just like the president, <laughs> I actually blocked him. <laughs> so, but his stuff was popping up all the time. I'm like, stop talking. So, anyway, so on, on on Twitter account, I like it because if they can't get it out in 280 characters, you don't have to mess with it, right? You don't have to see where they took their kids on vacation, all that stuff. It's good for you, but. Okay, somebody wrote in there about electing representatives to be heads of certain committees within their denomination. And they said, every one of the people that fills these head leadership positions need to all be men who are pastors who have been shown that they know how to build a church. Now stop for a second and think. What's the problem with that? They don't build the church. Matthew 16 is real clear. I will build my church. The very words of Jesus and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Does everybody see how well-meaning and good intentioned stuff can be really far off the track? They were in the plane heading for Alaska. They ended up in Mexico. Okay, that's how that went down. All you got to do is be off a little bit at the beginning and it goes off. So when we have the, we all have the word of God. If you don't have a copy of the word of God, There's a whole bunch of them back there. If the print is too small, we'll work on getting you a bigger one, I promise. But everybody needs a copy of the Word of God. Why? Because this is the primary way God wants to be known. We can learn a little bit about Him being Creator through what we see, but He intimately talks to us through this. You want to hear God talk, you read His Word. If you want to hear Him talk audibly, you read it out loud. It's real easy, right? Everybody's like, I got a word from the Lord. I'm like, if it didn't come from here, you didn't get it, man. You just didn't. He's never going to reveal something apart from His Word. The next one, God is eternal. He's always been, always has been, always will be, and is right now. He is the great I Am, the self-existing One. He is the sovereign Creator. The word sovereign does not mean that He meticulously controls every little sneeze that you have and every speck of dust. What it means is, is that He's completely knowledgeable of all things and He is the One who is rightfully the ruler of all things. Why? Because he's the creator of all things. Everything that he creates is good. Everything he does is consistent with his character. Just because you and I don't work that way doesn't mean that God works that day. I do things that are out of character all day and I need to be called out on them and those are times of confession and repentance before the Lord. The next one. We are responsible agents and we are held to a moral standard. Only one person sets that standard and that is God. What He says goes. The next one. Sin originates within a person separating us from God. Sin does not originate with God. That is so important to understand. That is so important to understand because that's something that's being popularly taught today. Sin originates with God. No. If that's the case, I don't know what God you're worshiping because it's not the God of the Scriptures. The next one, God declares one righteous one way and one way only, and that is by faith alone, apart from any works. Why is that? The whole problem that we have as a civilization is, God is righteous, and we are not. And the righteousness of God is perfectly so. So in order for us to have a relationship with Him, we have got to have a righteousness like His. Now, I don't know about you and me, or you, you guys, but me, I'm doing a terrible job conjuring my own righteousness. In fact, I saw something, since since we're talking about social media, I saw something really great the other day. Somebody had taken one of those those plugs you put in, but it's a power strip, right? And you got all these different plugs you can have. But they took the end of the plug that you put in the wall and they plugged it into another part of the power strip. And And the heading said, this is me, trying to conjure my own righteousness and i thought yeah you're totally into yourself but you don't have any power there's none and you are no good for anything i don't know anybody who looks at something like that and goes you know what my alarm clock would plug up real nice next to that there's no power nothing works from it that's an idea of our own righteousness so we need a righteousness like God's, but it can't come from us because we're diminished and fallen, so it comes from Jesus. And by doing so, the only thing that the Lord asks of us is believe. Believe, believe, believe. 99 times in the Gospel of John, believe, believe. So notice the next one. These are the two new ones that we just put on last week. And by the way, if you weren't here for the snowpocalypse of April last week, uh <laughs> That is online, or you can ask Mitch, and Mitch will burn you a CD of it. I'm sure he's got a whole fresh spindle back there he can burn you from last week. But last week's pretty important. Uh, So, the glory of God is the centerpiece and goal of all existence. Why do we exist? Ultimately, for one reason only, to give God glory. That's it. There are actually some people who think they're here to live for themselves and not to give God glory. That's when you like to look at that verse that says, and all those on the earth and above the earth and under the earth, every knee shall bow. Can you imagine people that hate God that are in the lake of fire, their knees are going to bow? You talk about a humbling experience. And they're not going to be able to help it. Their knee's just going to go. Because in the presence of God alone, there's no other acceptable approach to Him. And the last one here, God's glory is maximally realized. It is a word, maximally realized in the promised coming kingdom when his son sets up rule and authority over all things and every enemy that he possibly has will be put underneath his foot like a footstool. Anybody got a footstool at home? Next time you kick back, I've had a hard day. You throw those piggies up there. Look down underneath there and see what you got going on. Imagine the Lord Jesus kicking back putting his feet up there. That's what his enemies are going to be like. Here, hold my feet. I don't know. That's kind of amazing to me. It's kind of amazing to think of the extent of his power that he has to people who oppose him and hate him. It's incredible. So here's where we're at. A very interesting place. The book of Judges. The book of Judges is, is what's kind of known as a cyclical book. And the reason is, is because the same thing happens over and over and over and over Have you ever told your child, stop, stop, Nathaniel, don't touch the TV. I don't care if there's a star on the TV. Stop touching the TV. Don't touch the TV. Nathaniel, stop touching. I came home the other day and the TV was leaning against the wall. And I thought, you know what? If it fell and broke, that might be a blessing from God. I'm not for sure. (laughs) That's not going to be his excuse. I'm being used by God, Daddy, to help spiritual growth. It's not going to happen. He's just touching the TV, man. It's the same way with Israel. And let's not pretend like we're any different from a two-year-old. Let's not pretend with God that we're any different from a two-year-old. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I know it's a lot. Spend the next week and read through the entire book of Judges. It's 21 chapters long. And I, I encourage you to try to do it in two separate settings. First setting, Read from chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 10. The next setting, pick up an 11 and read all the way to the end. You'll have some questions when you're done. What in the world is going on here? Why is that person weird? Why did they take that girl and cut up her body and send her body parts all over? Yeah, see? You need to read this book, man. Right? You're like, that's in my Bible? Yes, it's in there. But you learn a lot about what happens when the cat's away. We know that, right? When the cat's away what? And they do. And they do to their own detriment. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you why the book of Judges is necessary, the problem with the book of Judges uh, that, that, that makes it need to be there, some of the key things that we see, and then why this is important when we're talking about the whole concept of God's mission to set up a kingdom on earth so that he will be glorified. And we're going to do it in 45 minutes. So, here we go. Everybody knows I'm holding up the left hand this time. Why? Because we're going to be doing a lot of flipping here. So everybody turn to Deuteronomy 20. One of the harsh things in Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 20, is what's known as the idea of harem. And for you Deuteronomy students, you know what this already is. Harem is the idea of holy war. It is the idea of Yahweh taking the initiative and giving the command to use Israel in order to destroy entire groups of people now that might just completely rock your world maybe you've never thought of it much if you haven't spent a lot of time in the old testament sometimes approaching something like that brings a lot of questions and a lot of skeptics like to use this instance that we're going to look at this command that we're going to look at as a reason to negate any kind of credence to god or to care at all for his word because they say this is cruel and this is heartless and this is mean and he's actually evil and vindictive and all these types of things like that give me a chance to explain let's read what the text says and then we'll move on so everybody look deuteronomy chapter 20 and this entire chapter, if you've probably got a heading at the beginning of 20, it says Laws of Warfare. From verses 1 through 15, it talks about how Israel is supposed to relate to the countries that are around it or to the people groups that are around it once it settles in the land. But however, the people that are actually dwelling in the land of Canaan, their approach and relationship to them is completely different. So look at verse 16. It says, Only in the cities of these peoples... That Yahweh your Elohim is giving you as an inheritance. Now remember, this promised land is an inheritance for them. They were faithful in trusting the Lord and they were going to march in and take the land as He has promised because God is going to be their God who fights for them. It says, You shall not leave anything that breathes. Notice verse 17. But you shall utterly destroy. You shall utterly destroy. Destroy. This is the Hebrew word Haram. It actually means literally to place them under a ban. And when you look at the most used Hebrew lexicon, the definition they give is simple. Exterminate. Exterminate an entire group of people. Now does that set weird with us? That might make you a little uneasy. To think that the God of the Bible, the very creator of human life, it's saying when you walk into this situation, you have to wipe these people completely out. That's different. That's probably not how we think of gentle Jesus, right? Sitting in a field, flowers, petting a lamb, rainbow in the back, flowing brown hair, blue eyes, white skin. That's not Jesus. But this is very different from how we perceive that sometimes. Let's keep reading. But you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite. And the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, just in case you didn't know who he was talking about. And real quick, if you want to write this in your margin, Genesis 15, verses 18 through 21, this is the exact groupings of people where the land was promised to Abraham way back at this time. Okay? So we're talking many years later, and yet it's the exact same groups of people so that there's no confusion about what the boundaries are of this inheritance that they're supposed to receive. And he says here, as Yahweh your Elohim has commanded you. Now, if we stopped right there, we would all be appalled, closed our Bibles, throw them down on the ground, walk out, try to find something to live for in life. However, if there's a good reason, can you buy it? Yes? No? Who's asleep? Raise your hand. Okay, making sure. There's coffee out there, there's coffee in there. So notice verse 18, here's the reason. So that, Here's the reason why an extermination of these seven groups of people needs to take place. They may not teach you to do according to all their detestable things which they have done for their gods. So notice it's satanically motivated. It's demonically motivated back there. So that you would sin against Yahweh, your Elohim. That still may not sit well with you. But here's the idea. Let me ask you this question. This is an interesting question to think of. Don't anybody answer out loud, but I want you to just ponder this for a second. If you knew that you had the ability to go back in time and kill Hitler, would you? You see what I'm saying? What was his influence like? What was his influence like in the late 20s? Do we know? Was it as dominant as it was in 39 to 45? No, not at all. But he didn't just end up in that spot, did he? He worked his way up. If you read anything about German history, you can see how carefully and how cunning and how crafty he is in working his way through the political system, everything that he was involved in. If you had the chance to kill him in 1929, would you? How many Jews would you have saved? Seven million. Some people estimate as many as eight million. This makes you question the character of God a little bit. Why in the world would God call for the execution of seven groups of people? Not just seven people. Seven groups. They're known as their own distinct entities. And wipe that out. Here's the reason. They may not teach you to do according to their detestable things. If you have a different translation, abominations. Everything that they do in their life, practice, culture, speech writing communication worship whatever it is are all things that are completely abhorrent to the creator god and if you even get in there and get a little taste of what it is that they are doing the demonic influence is so powerful it will cause you to run in the other direction away from me does it sound like it needs to happen can you buy it now How about this? What if they have a track record to where all of their life has been positioned around worshiping demons, sacrificing their children, those types of things, and God gives this pronouncement? Let me ask you this. Do we know these people as well as God does? Would we doubt God if He said, you know what, they're irredeemable? I mean, that's the only reason to be done with a group of people. They have put themselves in such a position to where they are irredeemable. They will never believe. They are so deluded. They're gone off the deep end. And so he uses Israel to come in and take the land because these people have so defiled it by all of their practices. I mean, I don't see us running out to sacrifice our kids to some God so that they'll be happy with us. Praise the Lord for that. In fact, we jail people for that today, don't we? For the slightest bit of child abuse. And yet, this is something that is commonly accepted and fine throughout an entire civilization of people. They're problems. Ponder it. If it still messes with you, ponder it for a while. It's not easy to understand. Took me years to come to grips with it. But notice the reason they're going to be a corrupting influence in your life. That's the problem. Now, why is this so dangerous in the situation? Take your Bible, turn back to Deuteronomy 7. Everybody's real quiet. I've got your attention this morning. Praise the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Start in verse one. When Yahweh your Elohim brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it. And real quick, just so you know, when you're reading through the book of Deuteronomy, anytime that the word possess is used in the New American Standard Version, you can easily put in there the word inherit or inheritance is the idea. They're interchangeable, exact same word. Notice. He brings you in to possess it and clears away many nations before you. Who are those nations? The exact same ones. The Hittites, Gergeshites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. Seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when Yahweh your Elohim delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall, here's the word, utterly destroy them, haram execute them, be done with them. Now watch this. You shall make... No covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. Here's the reason why. Verse 4. Same thing we saw in the last one in verse 18. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and He will quickly destroy you. Meaning, they will be disciplined for their rejection of Yahweh. Verse 5, But thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars, get rid of their places of pagan worship. You shall smash their sacred pillars, get rid of their symbols of pagan worship. You shall hew down, very good, cut them into pieces is the idea. You shall hew down their ashram. These were, these were, but these were poles that they would set up that were used for cult worship and practices at the time. These were worship poles as the idea is going on there. And you shall burn their graven images with fire. You shall cast all their idols into a furnace and get rid of them. Completely wipe away the influence of their paganism. Why? Because there's not many different ways and there's not many different sides. And that might be true for you, but it's not true for me kind of junk. That is the relativistic world we live in now. That we get very diluted in. It's really clear. It's either God. Or it's not. It's either the creator and savior. Or it's not. There are no gray lines. There are no fences to sit on. Everybody's been sitting on a fence for so long. That hurts. Some of you are awake. Praise the Lord. So notice verse 6. For you are a holy people. What does the word holy mean? Set apart. I love being holy from Tom. (laughs) Set apart from him. I love it. It's great. Set apart. You're a holy people. A set apart people. To To Yahweh your Elohim. The Yahweh Elohim has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. In other words, They were selected to carry out His purposes. Nobody else was. They have a specific designation in life. To introduce in these influences is to take the purposes of God and diminish them. Dangerous place to be. So this is the reason for that. Now let's move on to the next part. Move forward to Joshua 9. We read Joshua 1 last week the idea of coming in be strong and courageous and make get the inheritance uh, move forward in confidence I am with you I will fight for you keep my commandments don't veer to the right or to the left stick holy with the Lord he'll take care of you he'll protect you hoo, 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 right all good stuff yeah makes you want to get up and charge and march somewhere we're here to take over Walmart yeah something I don't know but anyway <laughs> I can see everybody at Walmart's like, okay. <laughs> and they're like, if that's what they live for, we're in trouble. Uh, so, but here's the thing. They come in, and we're familiar with the situation at Jericho, right? Everybody familiar with Rahab, the spy? She ends up in the genealogy of Jesus. That's very awesome. A prostitute ends up in the genealogy of Jesus. Don't say he's not full of grace and mercy. Good gravy. That's wonderful. But then they get to I. Everybody remember I-A-I is what it is. And somebody decided they were going to sneak some gods. They had to deal decisively with that, which they did. Then they went in and they were able to conquer that. And everything's going well because they're trusting in God's provision. He's fighting for them. Yeah, right? And then we get to chapter 9. Joshua 9, verse 1. Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country and in the lowland, and on all the coast of the great sea, that's the Mediterranean, toward Lebanon, that's up towards the north, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite heard of it. Have you heard those guys' names before? So notice what we got here. We got this real good networking here thing going on. Notice, they gathered themselves together with one accord. In other words, they had one voice together. They came to a common consensus about this to fight against Joshua and with Israel. We heard what you did in Egypt 40 years ago. We're scared to death of your God. Then we heard about what you did to Sihon, the king of Bashan. We heard what you did, or I'm sorry, the, the, the king of, is that right? Heshbon. Sihon, the king of Heshbon. This is for you Deuteronomy people, okay? See, y'all should be in Deuteronomy class. So, then you, then you went up and you took care of Og, the king of Bashan. That was taken care of. And you got all of this eastern part on this side of the Jordan River. Now they've crossed over. They've taken care of Jericho. They've taken care of I. Everybody's scared. They get together and said, let's all get together and fight. They can't take us all. Right? Right? Now watch this. Verse 3. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua, what a Joshua had done to Jericho and I, we're going to do this differently. Y'all are going to fight, and they're whipping everybody that they come in contact with. We're going to handle this a different way. They also acted craftily. Craftily. Man, what a good word. I'm going to use it later. Nathaniel, stop acting craftily over there. Because I can see it in his eyes when he is, right? And they set out as envoys, and they took worn-out sacks on their donkeys, and wineskins worn out and torn and mended, and worn out and patched sandals on their feet. And they worn out clothes on themselves, and all the bread of their provisions was dry and had become crumbled. Then they went to Joshua, to the camp of Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come far, Or sorry, we have come from a far country. Now therefore, make a covenant with us. Now stop. If anybody immediately comes up to you and says, oh, I'm from far away, now make a covenant with me. Does that make you kind of go? Yes. Anytime that somebody wants to get pushy with you about something, just back it on up, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. Get away from it. Because something sneaky, something craftily is going on here. So watch what happens. Verse 7. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites. Now notice, the Gibeonites are the Hivites. Everybody see that? Same people. So watch this. Perhaps you are living within our land. You might not be from far away. You might be from just over in the wayside. You might be from Minnesota. How do we know you're not our neighbors? How can we trust you? How then shall we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants then joshua said to him who are you and where do you come from and they said to him your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of yahweh your elohim now i was i was okay with it till they brought god into their deception right it's like okay they're going to try to no this isn't theater this is lying so notice for we have heard the report of him and all that he did in egypt so notice are these people knowledgeable Yes, but the goal when your life is threatened is to save your own rear end. And that's what they're going to try to do. Verse 10, And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sihon the king of Heshbon, and Og the king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Those are, and if you want a summary of that, just to read a summary, that's Deuteronomy 1, 2, and 3. If you want to read that, you'll be completely caught up on that. Verse 11, so our elders and all of our inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants now then and make a covenant with us. Now remember, a covenant was binding. It's a contract. You can't get out of it. Once you sign it, once it's done, you're in. Verse 12, this is, I love this. This, our bread, was warm when we took it for our provisions out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you. But now, behold, it's dry and has become crumbled. It just puts all kinds of pictures in your mind, doesn't it? It's like, man, these guys are really selling it. My my, my bread's dry. Verse 13, these wineskins were filled with new, and behold, they are torn. These are clothes, and our sandals are worn out because of the very long journey. So the men of Israel, here's the response, took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. There's your underline point. If you don't click your Grace Bible Church pen for anything else, this is the one to use it on. They didn't want to see what God had to say about the matter. In other words, they didn't seek his face before they stepped forward in this. Oh, you guys got goodies you're going to share? Ch- they probably had chocolate. Chocolate gets everybody, right? Is a thing. Well, hand it on over. Verse 15, Joshua made peace with them and made a... Ouch. What did God just tell them in Deuteronomy 7? Do not make a covenant with them. Don't marry with them. Don't talk to them. Don't smell them. Don't hear them. Don't touch them. Get away from them. Don't have anything to do with them. Because as soon as you open the crack of the door and let sin in, it grabs a foothold and it drags you out the door. That's the reason why. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation, and here's the reason why, is because in any situation, leaders speak for the nation. The leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. And it came about at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within their land. Then the sons of Israel set out and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and Shephira and Beeroth and Kiriath-Jerim, which I did a good job on that, so whatever. Verse 18, thank you, hear, <laughs> hear. Here. Um, The sons of Israel did not strike them. Why not? Because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by Yahweh, their Elohim of Israel. And the whole congregation grumbled against their leaders. In other words, it was a bad leadership decision. It's costly in the sight of the people. But all the leaders said to the whole congregation, we have sworn to them. Notice, they, they let them know, yeah, here's what we did. This is the reason why we're not taking them out. We made this mistake. We've sworn to them by Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel, and we cannot touch them. This we will do to them, even let them live so that wrath will not be upon us for the oath which we swore to them. Is that true? Did they know that by making the covenant that God's wrath would be upon them for doing so? They did, but now they're trying to smooth it over. How can I make the best out of a bad situation? Notice that they don't repent. They come up with an idea. Understand this, guys. That's always a bad thing. Oh, I committed this horrible sin. But instead of repenting, how can this work out? Bad way to go. So it says here, verse 20, This we will do to them, even let them live, so that wrath will not be upon us, for the oath which we swore to them the leader said to them, let them live. So they became hewers of wood and drawers of water for the whole congregation just as the leaders had spoken to them. Then Joshua called for them and spoke to them saying, why have you deceived us saying we are very far from you when you are living within our land? Now therefore you are cursed and you shall never cease being slaves both hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. Now we read longer than I wanted to but the idea is, well, we'll make them servants. They'll be slaves now. That's the idea since we've made this covenant. The danger in not seeking God's face on this situation. Now, here's the problem. Just because they become slaves of Israel, does that mean that they stop worshiping the pagan gods that they have? Does that mean they stop raising their kids that way? Does that make their women folk any less attractive to the Israelite men? No, we've got a whole lot of problems here, a whole lot of problems. Because now everything that God spends from Exodus 20 to the end of Deuteronomy warning them over and over and over and over. Do not do this. Hold fast to my word. Know it and do it. Moses will teach you. You do what it says. They've completely thrown it all out the window. So now we move to our next section finally getting into Judges. And the interesting thing, Judges 2 is Judges 2 actually shows you a summary of what the pattern was throughout the rest of this book. The problem that they got into because they allowed for this to take place. Now if you have your notes you wouldn't mind after you turn to Judges 2, pull out your notes because I want to show you this pattern real quick. So you got page one, page two, on page three. I've got you six little points up there of what this cyclical process looks like, the problems they got into. And the whole reason why they're in these problems is because they allowed this one sin that they were adamantly told not to have anything to do with, they allowed it in. Here's the pattern. Number one, they have a devotion to Yahweh while a leader is in place. Number two, the leader dies. Number three, the people stray into idolatry. Nobody's there to kind of keep, keep the checks and balances to watch over them. Number four, Yahweh brings Israel into captivity to another people. In other words, Yahweh uses another nation to come in and to spank his kids Israel. To punish them for the wrongdoing that they're doing. Verse 5, or number 5, verse 5. Number 5, the people eventually, eventually is the key word there. They eventually cry out for rescue. Number 6, Yahweh raises up a judge to deliver them and to steer them back to Him. So we're going to look at judges, but instead of starting in verse 1, let's start in verse 6. The people have come in. Everybody's pretty much getting settled in their inheritance here. Verse 6, When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel, went each to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served Yahweh all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua who had seen the great work of Yahweh which he had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Yahweh, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath Haris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash, I guess is how you say that. Verse 10, all the generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them, watch this, who did not know Yahweh, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Now here's a question, how come nobody passed this on? How come granddaddy wasn't talking to daddy and daddy was talking to their son? What happened here? What was the breakdown? And notice, it's all a communication problem. What was the breakdown here that didn't pass on who God is, what God has done, and the profound effect that he had? How they even got in the land that they live in. The whole reason how you got here was from this. Some of you have even researched that, haven't you? Where your family line comes from, where your ancestry is from. Hopefully none of you guys took your DNA and sent it into those people. You know that's how the government gets you, don't you? <laughs> Hopefully that wasn't you. Moving on. That's something for you to pray and repent about. Verse 11. And just real quick for you Deuteronomy guys, this is a chiasm from verses 11 to verse 13. And all God's people went, oh. No, just work through it, okay? Verse 11. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of Yahweh and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods From among the gods of the peoples, notice, from among the gods of who? What's it say? Everybody say it like you know where I'm at in the Scripture. The peoples. Who are the peoples? It's everybody that they left alive instead of doing what God told them to do. Is what God said would happen if they disobeyed Him? Is it happening? It's happening to them right now and it's corrupted an entire civilization. So notice there. "...among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked Yahweh to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and He he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and He sold them into the hands of their enemies around them, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies." Wherever they went, the hand of Yahweh was against them for evil, as Yahweh had spoken and as Yahweh had sworn to them so that they were severely distressed. Then Yahweh raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered him. Yet he did not listen; they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot. Notice this. God equates our worship of anything else as infidelity in a solemn relationship. He considers it cheating. It's adultery as far as he is concerned. Moving on here. They played the harlot after other gods. They bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the. And here's what's interesting. If you read Exodus through Deuteronomy, you will see it mentioned. Do not turn to the right hand or to the left. Do not turn to the right hand or to the left. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. Be strong and courageous and do not turn from the right hand or to the left. Over and over and over, he tells them. What does it say? They turned aside but they didn't just turn aside it wasn't like oh, i'm supposed to go here and they kind of veered into it no it was the entire car spinning it around and then they hit one of those bumps like when you're trying to get into dairy queen right boom serving the bales we're shipwrecking everything our entire family civilization it's all going down real quick they turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of Yahweh, they did not do as their fathers. When Yahweh raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved to pity. Notice that he had to discipline because he's a good father and there's a standard. But he was moved to pity for his people. says here, he was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers and following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices of their stubborn ways. I like that that's there because it lets you know the position that their heart was in. That's really the problem here. It's really not about that there are other gods all the way around. That's something they did to allow corrupting influence to come in. But the real thing is, is it's evidencing the true nature of their heart in the situation. So notice verse 20. So the anger of Yahweh burned against Israel. And he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and has not listened to my voice, has not listened to my word. And if you want to write down Exodus 20 verses 1 through 20, where God from the mountain audibly speaks the Ten Commandments, to Israel at the base of the mountain. They hear his voice and they turn to Moses after it's over and they say, don't ever let God speak to us again. If he talks to us, we will surely die. You be the intermediary between him and us. It was a frightening event that was meant to mark them so that they would fear him and obey him. And notice that he intentionally uses this word, voice. You do not listen to my voice. Verse 21. Am I the only person who's excited about this right now? <laughs> I'm getting ready to do a cartwheel. I can't even do one. Verse 21. I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations what Joshua left when he died. Notice that. This entire campaign where I got up front and I was fighting for you, I'm going to put my sword in its sheath and I'm going to step back. We're not clearing out any more people because of your disobedience. I am, can you imagine God coming to you and saying, because of what you have done, I'm no longer fighting for you. If you want to get an inkling what that looks like in the New Testament, husbands. (laughs) Brother, you shouldn't answer. (laughs) What does Peter tell us? Love your wives. Live with them in an understanding way. Giving them honor as fellow heirs with you. And if you don't do this, your prayers will be hindered. That's a New Testament example of what this looks like. And that, that immediately draws the application, right? How am I treating my wife? That might be why God's not listening to us. Everybody, see how frightening that is? The way you treat your spouse determines whether or not God will hear your prayers. If you can't say amen, you've got to say ouch. All right? So, moving back to this verse 21 I will no longer drive out. Before them, any of the nations with Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them. Notice that. Going to test what? Going to test their heart. Where's the heart at with me? Whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. So Yahweh allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Now here's an interesting thing. The problems that you run into. Turn over to Judges 8. Everybody knows Gideon, right? We familiar with Gideon? He hangs out the fleece. It's dry one day. It's wet the next day. Thank you, God. Sorry I had to ask you twice, but I really needed to know before I did something crazy. And then Gideon just takes off, man. He becomes like super warrior or something. I don't know. It's amazing. But after his conquest, look over at chapter 8. Look down at verse 22. After he has all these amazing victories, the Lord has blessed him tremendously. And this whole situation is a judge in rescuing Israel. From destruction, I think they were under the Philistines at that time. I can't remember. Um, but it says here, verse twenty-two. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, "What do they say? Rule over us, both you and your son. We liked what you did out there on the battlefield so much. Won't you just set up a dynasty?" Is the idea. Now that's a commitment, isn't it? Man, you're you're so good at swinging a sword. Won't you come in here and sit as king? Rule over us. Both you and your son. Also, your son's son. We don't want any end of Gideon. We can't get enough of Gideon. We just love him. But watch what happens here. For you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. What is the problem in this verse? There are two of them. What? Who did? Look what it says. Just to get right ahead, it's up on the screen. Look what it says. That. You have delivered us from the hand of Midian. Does that tell you how far away their hearts are from understanding what role God plays in these situations? But here's the other problem. Well, son sons, yeah, we're talking about a legacy here. Rule over us. Does Israel have a king? No, yes, no? No, yes, no? No? Let's answer that a little bit later. Verse 20 the, Don't get married. I'm conjuring all kinds of thunder up here. Don't let it go. It's crazy. Verse 23. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord. Now don't sell it short, church. What is that really? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh shall rule over you. In other words, you guys forgot something you already got a king you're trying to get somebody that's a human to come in because you think for some reason they're going to be able to fix your problems and they're going to be able to suit your needs and you're going to be able to bend them to your wills and next thing you know we got lobbyists coming in and congress is doing i don't mean to go there but it's for real and all of a sudden we got all of our answers are wrapped up in a person instead of god's presence that's a problem in fact, if you read through this, you're going to, man, Gideon's so on fire. Wow, it's just amazing. He's really trusting the Lord. The Lord's blessing. Everybody look down to 27, verse 27. It's a little tragic here. Gideon made it into, in other words, these these gold earrings and stuff. Actually, it says gold nose rings. So next time you see somebody with a nose ring, don't dismiss them and judge them. It's actually in the Bible. It says here, gold earrings and stuff. They melted them down. They made it into an ephod, a chess piece that somebody wear. And they placed it in his city, Ophrah. That's not Oprah, okay? It's Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there, so that it became a snare to who? Gideon and his household. Gideon Gideon did not finish the race well. Even Gideon, used mightily by the Lord, who everybody said, you ought to be our king and set up a dynasty, even he fell prey to idolatry. Dangerous, dangerous stuff. Now, I want, to, I want to show you a couple of other interesting things real quick. And I have to look down here at my notes, so forgive me. There's a lot going on this week. Uh, if you would, turn over to 17.6. One of the interesting things about, or a lot of interesting things about the book of Judges is, is the Trinity's involvement. You see constantly the Spirit of the Lord was upon this person or clothed this person. You see that uh, the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, shows up over and over. But you also have this idea of a remark that is made by whoever wrote Judges about the absence of a king. Chapter 17, look at verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, every person set their own standard because there was no one to rule over them and forge a path Forward. how about this look over at eighteen one, just down a little bit in those days there was no king of israel there's no leadership in place how about look over at nineteen one? now it came about in those days when there was no king in israel and how about go to the very last chapter 21 look at verse 25 In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. If Israel had a king, how come there was no king in Israel? Everybody see how tragic this is? Let's make it worse. Everybody turn to 1 Samuel 8. This is where we'll end. This is actually our main text for today. Everything before this was introduction. You guys would expect no less, would you? It might just be that I have a lot to say because I like to talk a lot. Or it could be. Or it could be that I want to piece all this together because I want to show you something pretty amazing. Could be. Samuel is raised up as the last judge of Israel. And as anybody would do, Samuel's in a position now where he's trying to train his kids up to take over because he's getting up there in years. He wants to pass this along. And they become the ones who are setting the standard for holiness and constantly pointing people towards God. So in chapter 8, verse 1, this unfolds. And it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second Abijah. They were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Let me say something real quick about that. Some of you have wayward children. You raise them according to the Lord. They know the Bible. Just the way that they're living right now doesn't reflect a hill of beans about anything that you ever taught them. That does not diminish who you are as a parent. That does not diminish the convictions that you still hold. That should not cause you to have guilt upon your shoulders because when they became an adult, they made their own decisions. Our our goal is to raise them according to the truth, but everybody gets an opportunity to choose whether or not they want to follow God or not. So if that's weighing heavy on your heart, let it go. You're devoted to the Lord and you demonstrate that decision-making And you have that wisdom that comes from His Word that you're still seeking to pour on them, but you can't make them do anything. They are responsible and they answer for themselves to the Lord. Understand you probably did the best that you could with what you had. Leave it there. Notice that Samuel's position is not diminished at all as a prophet or a judge here. So notice that the dishonest gain did not walk in his ways. They took bribes. They perverted justice. Verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old. Which is a heck of a way to start a conversation with somebody, right? I'm sure in the byline it says, Thanks a lot, guys, right? And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now stop. Notice that Israel wasn't so far gone that they didn't have an understanding of what was right and what was wrong. They could see the situation unfolding and they said, You know what? Samuel's kids aren't like Samuel. And if they're not going to walk the straight and narrow and help lead us in that way, we got to do something about this. So instead of seeking the Lord, they do what? I have an idea. I'm coming up with a solution. Now I don't care what God has to say about it. I want this done. So notice what happens. Verse 5, they said to him, Behold, you've grown old, and your sons are not walking your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Or let's translate it for... A little bit plainer. Give us somebody to rule over us because we want to be like everybody else. Does everybody realize what statement that says? Maybe I'm the only person that's getting it. Get this. These people see Samuel. Samuel. And he's operating according to righteousness and he's dispensing the Word of God and he's encouraging people and he's convicting of sin and he's taking care of making sure that sacrifices are carried out and he's keeping everybody together and he's saying, follow the Lord at all costs. And then his sons come up and they are looking back and they say, okay, Samuel's one thing, his sons are something else. This ain't going to work. But then they say, appoint us a king like everybody else. At what time were they looking up going, Everybody else seems to have it going on. All the other nations that worship everything else that is demonic, that has nothing to do with the Creator God, somehow they got the answers. And so let's get the same solution that they have. Let's grab a guy and stick him in a place and put a crown on his head and say, yeah, there's the solution. That's how we're going to move forward successfully and we're going to prosper. Does everybody see how quick it is to forget what God says? It is so dangerous, and this lesson is over and over in the scriptures to get our attention today, saying, "Do not abandon God's word." So, moving on, I'm starting to perspire. Verse six, but the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, "Give us a king to judge us." And Samuel prayed to the Lord. I love it. God, what is wrong with these people? He seeks God's face. Verse 7, and Yahweh said to Samuel, this is tragic, this is one of the most painful verses in the entire Bible. Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, and that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Or let me break it down this way. Samuel, they've treated me like this ever since I rescued them. It's just bubbling over onto you now and you're starting to feel it for the first time. This is the way these people have always been towards me. They've never wanted me to rule. They've never wanted to give me their heart so I could be everything that I need to be to them always. Verse 9, now then listen to their voice, however, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. Now, here's why this is amazing. Real quick, can you guys get a sense of what's unfolding here? God's heart's broken. You get that? I mean, he's not just like, I'm just distant and he just wound up the world and kind of let it hop away into history. No, he is intimately involved here and he is overcome By something as drastic as, well, we got God, but I think a human king's going to get things done a little bit better than he will. He'll be able to provide better. Well, he'll take care of our people. They might even use the old Israelite excuse. Well, our children will be taken care of. And that's the get this, that's the best that we can do as people. The best we can do as people is put our trust in a person, not in God. That's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Notice the grace in verse 9 you will solemnly warn them just to make sure they know what they're getting into. How many of you would love it if you could see just a little bit into the future before you make a major decision? That's a lot of stuff we bring to the Lord, isn't it? Lord, should I do this or should I do this? If I only knew what the next couple of days would unfold, I could make a better decision. I love it because God's going to show them. And you know what's amazing about it? It didn't change their minds and it wouldn't change ours either. We would love those extra two days, but that's because we're greedy to know the future, not because it changed how we work. Watch this. Watch how this happens here. It's amazing. Verse 10, so Samuel spoke all the words of Yahweh to the people who had asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. Watch this. And I've chronicled out in here the, the, the outline of what happens. Number one thing that's going to happen, he will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties and some to do his plowing and reap his harvest. I mean, I, I don't mind them mowing the yard. That's good. And to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. And he will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. In other words, when you put a human king into place, the first thing he's going to do is have a draft. And he's going to take your kids. That's the very first thing he's going to do. Why? Because now he needs to build this prestige that a king, like all the rest of the nations, has and an army to fight for them. Pause for a second. We're not just going to put in a human king instead of Yahweh the king, but we're going to install a human army instead of Yahweh the warrior God who delivered us from Egypt and utterly destroyed the world's superpower and brought us safely into the land. Does everybody see how irrational and irresponsible this is? Please tell me yes. Okay, because I can't finish preaching until you do. Verse 14. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. In other words, you're going to lose personal property. Verse 15. He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. In other words, he's going to tax you to feed his soldiers. Verse 16. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. In other words, he's going to confiscate your private help that you arranged to have come and work for you. Not anymore. They're the kings. Well, why does he get them? Because he's the king. That's why he gets them. Verse 17, he will take a tenth. Hold it, stop. In verse 15, it said a tenth. In verse 17, it says a tenth. Now, I'm not so good at math and I don't have my abacus on me right now, but how much is that? 20%! Anybody want to live somewhere where there's 20% tax? We already do. <laughs> but ups. And somehow I knew to look at Ruth Chadwick when I asked that question, <laughs> I knew she was going to have the answer. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become His servants. Now notice, part A of that, another tenth of your livestock are taken. Number two, you will be personally enslaved. Look at the next one, verse 18. Then, here's what's going to happen, Israel. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. Notice, who's responsible? Israel's responsible. Personal responsibility. But Yahweh will not answer you on that day. You cried out so much for a human king and then you're going to regret the fact that it ever happened? Don't cry to the Lord at that moment. That's a bed you made. laying it. And as a good father, He has no problem letting you experience the consequences of your actions. How else do we learn? We obviously don't learn by Him coming right out and saying, hey, don't do this. Do this instead. And Don't act like we don't know what that's like. As parents, even with a two-year-old, I know what that's like. Don't do this. Do this instead. It's like I didn't even talk. And that's exactly how Yahweh feels. Can you imagine him sitting there going, why did I even bother writing these first five books if they're not even going to read them? So moving on here, let's finish up. Verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like the nations maybe like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Somehow a human's going to take care of our problems. Is that true? You sure? I would hope we're not guilty of this. So now here's the big sum up part, right? Where's your trust? Think about it right now. When we come to church, we put on church clothes and we put on church face and we cover up church heart. But when you walk out these doors, does Yahweh's words still matter? Is He still telling you the truth Sunday evening, Monday through Saturday? Is His word still true? Are you looking for another king? Or are you appreciating the one that you have And humbly submitting yourself to Him? Are you coveting other rulers? Are there other things that we're chasing after because somehow we believe that they are giving a greater satisfaction than God? If God is not sufficient for all that we need, He is not sufficient. What was Jesus' response when He was being tempted in the desert? Man does not live by bread alone. And some of us by ourselves are keeping certain restaurants in this area around. I eat there all the time. Well, that's... We don't live by bread alone. Our stomach is not our God. Do you believe that you need God's Word more than you need food? I mean, that's ultimately the point that Jesus gets at. What does He say? We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the living God. Why? Because if everybody in the Old Testament would have just listened to what God said and did what He said, there wouldn't have been all these problems. Do you realize we wouldn't even need the book of Judges if they never would have compromised with those people? That book would not even be necessary. But what does that book have over and over and over? Sin, 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 sin. And isn't that the human condition? Isn't the human condition one that is broken inadequate, failing. Good Lord, we need His mercy every moment. Every moment. So we're going to do something interesting because I really want to drive this home. Everybody, close your eyes. I'm not going to throw anything. Close your eyes, bow your heads. And I'm going to preach pray a little bit, okay? But I want you to think about this right now. Only you know your life. Only you know who you interact with. Only you know who you talk with. Only you know what consumes your time. Only you know because you choose to be involved in that network of what it is. Maybe you spend too much time on social media. Maybe you spend too much time in everybody else's business. Maybe you spend too much time running from place to place. Maybe pornography has a stranglehold on your marriage. Maybe credit cards have a stranglehold on your finances. Maybe you're just coming to the calm realization that you have a stubborn and obstinate heart towards everything that God has for you. And understand this, all of His purposes are good. Everything that He sets out to do is right. And He never calls us to a situation, ever, where we in some way will not glorify Him better. And I tell you this, and I want you to think about it. There are some things that rule our lives that keep us from the King. There are some things that keep us from praying more. There are some things that keep us from knowing the Word more. There are some things that keep us from fellowshipping with people more. There are some things that keep us from just having a time of meditation on what God has said more. Probably myself the most, but everybody in this room could stand to have more of Jesus. We all need more of Jesus song is not wrong we need him every hour all it takes is a little bit of reasoning hey guys stop I have an idea all it is is coming to some sort of conclusion apart from seeking God's face apart from asking God's opinion apart from knowing his word about the situation and it opens up a door for sin to get a foothold on our lives Satan prowls as a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour as it was told to Cain as God warned Cain to his face sin is crouching at the door its desire is for you you must rule over it there is a God and he loves you and he gave Jesus for you because He didn't want anybody in the lake of fire. He wants no one burning for eternity in fire and brimstone. He wants us to be saved. He calls us to be saved. He beseeches us to be saved. But not only that, He desires us to keep getting saved and to grow closer to Him and to lay down some of the garbage in our lives because He can fill that in a way that we never can no matter what we conjure. Are you plugged into your own power strip? Father, I ask that you bring our hearts to a sober realization about where we really stand in life. Father, maybe some of us are trying to fill our lives with such things as to drown out your voice. Father, maybe we're completely astray and we know it and now is the time to repent and acknowledge You as King, as Lord over everything. Father, maybe we don't have a relationship with You at all. And what we need to do is realize the rescue that we desperately need from our sin and where it leads us. That is only found in Jesus Christ. Father, I know this without a shadow of a doubt. You don't want any person to leave here the same person they were when they walked in. Israel's entire history teaches us a huge lesson. Trust God. So Father, bring us to the conclusions we need to make in our lives. Give us courage to lay whatever we need to down and to follow You wholly. To be done with allowing a little bit of sin here and there. A little bit of leaven works its way through the entire batch of dough. The only solution is to clean out the entire batch and start new. And God, that's Your business. That's what You're in the business of doing. So Father, please, please use Your children here right now for Your purposes. That may look different for each one of us but please bring us to the end of ourselves. Show us a better way, closer to You, acknowledging You as King and not trying to put anybody else on the throne. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.